0: Okay, good morning, we're ready to begin We're in the uh, Stone Chumash Parsha Yisra begins on page 394-395 And uh, as we've been doing of late Just a brief summary of the o- overview of the Parsha Before we delve into the specific verses We're going to examine together this morning the, We left off uh, last week We spent time actually last week's class Was on the end of last week's Parsha So hopefully we're all very familiar with it Which was the war with Amalek and the, uh, the question of um, what was really going on there. It's kind of a peculiar war. The leaders of the war, Yo- Yeshua was instructed to choose men of distinction. Men who are Yirei who fear heaven. Well, why do you need that? An army should be made up of uh, warriors, of strong people. Why is that specifically the profile of the... Of the uh, of the soldier or of the commander. And what does it mean? They won when Moshe's hands were raised and they lost when Moshe's hands were lowered and so on and so forth. And we developed the idea last week that a Malik represents not only the physical challenge, not only the, the uh, army that is fighting the Jewish people, but represents the inner voice within us. That a Malik represents the voice of doubt, the voice of illusion. That when we, uh, our, our faith is challenged, and we're tempted to say, maybe it's all chance, maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's random. That's Amalek's influence. And that we triumph over a Malik when we are filled with uh, knowledge rather than doubt. When we accept fully Hashem. So that's what uh, we spent time on last week. And that's why Moshe raises his hands. Put, people look heavenward. And they therefore believe that everything comes from Hashem. When his hands are lowered and they look down, that's when they are uh, doubtful and so on and so forth. So that was last week. I just wanted to so the transition to this week. is uh, This week's passion begins... Everyone's hearing that soprano singing somewhere? Yes, it's the uh, steamer. It's the hot water. I think it's the urn. Oh, really? They, they forget to the turn it on. It's the urn. Okay. You want me to lower it? No, it's fine. No, you can unplug it if it's... Uh, no, no, you want hot water. You want hot water still. Okay. No, it never got hot. Good. Happened. And here I thought my class is so amazing. The angels are singing. <laughs> and it's just the hot water urn whistling. Okay. In any case... <clears throat> this week's parsha begins with Yisro's arrival. Yisro, who is the Kohen, the High Priest of Midian, who is Moshe's father-in-law, comes and he, the Pesach describes that he heard all that had occurred. And uh, the Gemara and Zvakov debates, what exactly did he hear? And there was a three-way debate in the Gemara. Rashi quotes, is it that he heard about the splitting of the sea? Is it that he heard about the war with Amalek, is it that he heard about Kabbalah's Torah? And of course you have the debate whether Yishmukta Mam'ukhra Torah is the Torah written chronologically, is it written thematically? Because if it's written chronologically, it doesn't make sense. How could there be an opinion that Yisro arrived because he heard of this incredible experience, the seminal experience of the giving of the Torah at Sinai? It didn't happen yet. It didn't happen yet. But leave that aside, I have a different question. Yisro, again, we're not getting into the class yet, this is still part of the overview, but if Yisro heard about the war with Amalek, war with Amalek. What was so impressive about the war with Amalek? Did they triumph in the war with Amalek? Remember what we said last week. What was the result? Vayachaloshi Yehoshua es Amalek. Yehoshua weakened Amalek. He weakened them. Didn't? Wasn't victorious over them. So what did Yisro hear that's so impressive? What did Yisro hear that's so wonderful? Again, Yisro heard something that made him come. What did he hear that made him come? A war with Amalek? What was so impressive about the war with Amalek that would make him come? The way, no, it was, not, it was, the way it was conducted. Oh, okay. So one possibility is he heard about the way it was conducted. This Jewish people did not have a traditional war. It wasn't just with weapons and strategy, but it was by turning to the Almighty and relying on him. Okay, what else? It may have been because he thought they needed that boost. That it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a great thing, and he, you know he, he knew people had a very high stature and now because of Amalek among the nations so he came there to uh, to affiliate himself and uh, okay so let me say along the lines of what Yochever is saying I'll tell you what I suggest every, every uh, Friday I study with uh, our congressman Ted Deutsch we learn the parasha together so I told him this last Friday I told him to go back to Washington and tell him to tell this word to his colleagues mm-hmm. so, I, so I want to suggest the following Amalek represents evil evil there are wicked people They don't place value on life. They don't place value on meaning. They don't place value on righteousness or on justice. They are a wicked, wicked people. When a wicked people target a specific nation and feel threatened by the existence of that nation and seek to eliminate and annihilate that nation, what do you know about that nation? It's good That they are the antithesis of evil. If a nation's existence threatens evil's mandate, then you know that that nation is good. So, what I said to, to the congressman, what I believe, perhaps Yisro wasn't blown away because of Yahushua weakened Amalek. Regardless of the results of the war, Yisro perhaps as an observer and spectator said, I, and remember, we know it from this week's practice, Rashi says, Yisro was a student of comparative religion. Yisro had experimented with every religion in the world. He knew Amalek. He knew it's evil, it's wicked roots. And he said, who? Amalek just... Peered its ugly head, and is targeting a specific nation. There must be something special about that nation. So I told them, you know, when Hamas and Hezbollah, when we see who represents the worst wicked in this world, and that their entire mandate is to eliminate a people, a nation, it should say something special about that nation. It's a, it's, it's a backhanded compliment. A it is a, it is a. a a certain distinction about the Jewish people and by extension I would say about America and its democracy that Al-Qaeda and that evil threatens, isolates two nations in the world and says these need to be eliminated we should feel a certain sense of pride not joy that they want to annihilate us but a certain sense of pride that there must be something right, holy, sacred, distinct, good about us that this is who they choose to eliminate so I want to suggest that perhaps what impressed Yisro was not the result the result was that only Yeshua only weakened him. What impressed Yisro was the very targeting of Amalek of the Jewish people. There must be some. I've got to check out these Jewish people. What is so holy and righteous about them that Amaleks feel so threatened by their existence? Anyway, that's the beginning of this week's Pasha. So Yisro hears something and he comes and uh, he uh, arrives with, his, uh, sons and his, with Moshe's sons and his wife to the wilderness and he says to Moshe I'm your father-in-law I've come with your wife and your two sons Moshe goes out and meets them kisses them inquires about their well-being and so on Yisro rejoices and then we get to Yisro's advice which is what we're going to spend our time on this morning Yisro plays the role of a father-in-law very well he immediately comes and gives unsolicited advice to his son-in-law The uh, he gives him advice uh, specifically dealing with leadership and gives him requirements what is the profile the criteria of an effective leader and then with that Yisro does something that many father-in-laws don't do well, and that is he leaves. Then the Jewish people, the uh, Torah describes. My in-laws are coming next. Shara, I'm not talking about. I'm not referring to them at all. I'm not referring to them whatsoever. That's. I'm not. I'm not referring to them. I'm not, them. I'm not afraid. I'm talking about what I hear from other people. Um, anyway, following that, immediately you have the arrival at Sinai at Har Sinai. By the way, just another, another question, which is. According to the opinion Ain Mukdam Mu'ukhar Torah, If you believe the Torah is written thematically Not chronologically In other words, things are put out of order Because God wanted to communicate a message In the juxtaposition of the narrative More than he sought to have an allegiance Or fidelity to the accuracy Of the chronology of history So if you believe that Then you have to ask yourself Why did God put Yisro's arrival Before Kabbalah Satorah Before receiving the Torah at Harsinai What was so fundamental about reporting Yisro's arrival if really Yisro came after the giving of the Torah, which is what one of the opinions of the Gemara Tzavachim says, by Yishma Yisro, Yisro heard. Well, what did he hear? He heard about the Torah. This incredible seminal event, God appeared at Mount Sinai. If that's what Yisro heard, it means he came after the giving of the Torah. So why would the Torah then pluck out by Yishma Yisro and put it first? There must be, you have to, Anytime you see something out of order, cut and paste in the Torah, you have to ask yourself, why? The editor, namely God, must have had a reason. Yes, sir? You can say also that That's one of the reasons. The problem is, correct, that's one of the reasons, and if that's the reason, everything's written in order. But I'm asking you for the reason that he came, according to the the one who says that he came after the Jews received the Torah, so why not put his arrival, report it, after receiving the Torah? Why report it earlier? There must be something fundamental about the description of Yisro's arrival, That is necessary for us. But no, before he, it describes his arrival before the Ten Commandments, even though it was the Ten Commandments that precipitated his arrival. But if he arrived after the Ten Commandments with Moses' wife and children, would that mean that Moses' wife and children were not at Mount sign? That's a children? great question. That's a great question. Not Jewish, That's a great wow. question. We're not getting into that. I don't want to, Let's not spend time on this because this is all, all right. part of our overview of the Parsha. I happen to have an answer to that question. I happen to have an hour class, at least okay. answer to that question. Okay. But we're not going to spend time on that today. It has to do with Yisro's... Uh, I'll give you the, the, the 10-second version, which is Vayishma Yisro. If you want to know who Yisro is, what he excels at, what Yisro is all about, it's his, it's his power to listen. Yisro has mastered the skill of listening. Vayishma Yisro. And I believe, and we will get into this in a moment, that's what Yisro was trying to communicate to Moshe. You can't listen. You got, you're the only one handling the whole people. You can't really be listening to any of them. Yisro is here to teach us all about listening. And I think what God wanted us to understand before the report of the giving of the Torah is, if you're not good at listening, you'll never receive the Torah. It doesn't matter if heavens and earth stop and split and God Himself comes down and God speaks to us from Sinai. If you're not a good listener, you'll never hear the message, no matter how articulate, no matter how powerful and potent it may be. So again, I could develop that for a whole hour about Yisro, but Yisro has, that, has mastered that ability to listen and that I think is what the Torah wants to communicate is and that's in, in Pirkei Yavas when it gives us 48 qualities. There are 48 ways the Torah is acquired. One of the ways the Torah is acquired is to be a good listener. If you're not a good listener, you'll never hear the Torah. So why didn't they call it the parsha by Yisro? Oh, hold on, hold on. We're not, but we're not doing that class. We're just doing the other Why the, is why they call the Oh, so I, I think that answers the question also of why it's called Yisro. Why you think about it? This is arguably the most significant parsha in the Torah: the giving of the Ten Commandments, the giving of the Torah itself. And who do we name it after? A Gentile priest, Yisro. Yisro, why is it called Yisro? So again, I would argue. I could argue, I have argued, I will argue when I give the shir again sometime in the future and recycle, that it's called Yisro again to remind us that the fundamental principle, an axiom before we even receive the Torah is to be able to listen like Yisro. The Yisro is the paradigm, the archetype of listening. We need to mold ourselves into listeners if we're going to receive a Torah. Because so if we're not listeners, we won't receive the Torah. We will superimpose our values onto the Torah. We need to master the state of listening. So God comes, He prepares us for the giving of the Torah. Three days we have to prepare. The day of Revelation arrives. God gives us the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are very significant. Five, first five dictate our relationship with God. Second five dictate our relationship with man. And essentially that is the end of the Parsha. Okay? So that's a, just the overview of the Parsha. Yes, Leo. From a pragmatic point of view, the power had to be given, and Moshe had to break the May Yisro out, and become exhausted, at this point Yisro uh, uh, taught to Moshe, or suggested to Moshe, a system for uh, hierarchical uh, court, and um, uh, assistants who would be able to hear uh, arguments and cases. Maybe Leo, but the problem is, why was it put out of order? But but why put it out of order then? The, the second thing is that Yisra was. Uh, hold on, Leo, you're not answering the question. The question is, even if you are right, why didn't the Torah report it then that way? That Moshe gave the Torah. He was teaching everybody. He was handling everything. He was exhausted. Yisrael came and gave him advice. Torah doesn't report it that way. Torah describes Yisro's arrival and giving the advice before the Torah was ever given. And the second point. Yeah. Practical, again, uh, the practice of uh, Egypt uh, uh, with uh, idol worship and sacrifices that were not permitted and that are uh, evil. And Yisro was a Kohen... Uh, in his own right, and uh, being that he was uh, uh, approaching Judaism, I don't know whether he's ever really converted it at the end. And of course, he leaves. The question comes up: What practices would be permissible? I understand, but you still right. But it's still you're still not answering the fundamental question. The question is: Why is it out of order? Okay, but let's get into the section I want to look at. I don't have the answer. I have the answer. Another question. Yes. Um, I you know I like the, the idea that you represented is bad in Israel is the flip side, and we, we were so good, and that's why Yitro was so impressed. Or he sensed within us a holiness that he wanted to extinguish. But but, but how then would he have known if, if it was only Israel that was um, selected for this this evil uh, approach? How would Israel have known that, that they were in fact evil. They, they must have had a reputation for this. Amalek. Yes. Yeah. So they did a single Israel. No, correct. No, no, I think they had a reputation. Oh. They had a reputation for being corrupt, immoral, unethical. Exactly. But now they go on a charge. They go in pursuit of a particular nation. But that's the only thing that we don't use the Torah. We don't know right. True. Of anybody else. True. And the fact that they had a reputation of being evil probably means that they did it with other nations. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but I'm just saying. You well, nice said he had a reputation. On it. I think, well, you I like don't to hold. think it does hold. I don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think there's evidence to the contrary. No, I'm saying, I don't think there's evidence to the contrary of the suggestion. The suggestion is that, Amalek represent, that Yisro had known as a student of religion, Amalek, to be a wicked people. But when he saw them specifically target, look. uh, If you want to give a contemporary example, Mm -hmm. there are cultures we know who are corrupt, unethical, and immoral. But they don't target a specific nation until the birth of Israel, and all of a sudden now they wake up and their entire mandate becomes the extinction the elimination of Israel, the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. So I think you could have that exact parallel. I I agree with all of that. The truth of the matter is, you don't know whether they targeted anybody else. Right. We don't know. know Right. Correct. Correct? We don't, we don't that. You're Right? I'm suggesting that, but I there's not evidence to the contrary either. You may, in other words, there may not be evidence to support me, but there's no evidence against me either. That's the beauty of Torah. Shivim Panimot Torah. Okay. So what I want to start with, now that we're ready to begin the class, is um, from Shani from Shane, the second Aliyah on the Torah, which is really what we got up to last year, and dealing specifically with a text of the conversation of Yisro and his son-in-law, Moshe. The advice that Yisro gives upon his arrival. Okay, Yisro arrives, they make a whole party, they make a fabrengan, they have lachaims. Moshe is excited to see his wife, to see his kids, probably excited to see his father-in-law, they make a whole party and a feast. And now it was the next day. Vayihimi macharas, I'm on chapter 18 verse 13 chapter 18 verse 13 page 396-397 in the stone Chumash everyone have it? great and it was the next day and Moshe sat to judge the people and Moshe stood over the people from the morning until the evening And the father-in-law of Moshe saw all that he was doing to the people. And so he said, Who's he? Yisro. Why are you doing this thing? What is this thing you're doing to the people? Why do you sit alone? You sit alone and the whole nation stands over you from morning till evening. So what does Moshe respond? Because the nation has come to me to appeal to God, to seek guidance, advice, wisdom from God. When they have an issue, they come to me, I judge between man and his peer, and I communicate God's rules. It's no good, it's no good. It's not working what you're doing. Navol Gamata, Gama, Asher imach. What does that mean? that double language. Navol What does it mean? Navol? You're going to wilt out, you're going to tire out, you're going to become exhausted. Burn out. You're going to burn out? Not only you, Gama which is interesting. Not only you will burn out the nation will burn out Mm -hmm. it's too weighty for you it's too much you can't do it alone so now listen to my voice I'm going to give you some advice and by doing it God will be with you a little emphasis there right you notice he says now listen to me I'm going to give you some advice I'm going to give you some advice And God will be with you. You will represent God and you will bring the matters to God. You're going to communicate God's laws. You'll give the way, the, the manner that they should travel. And the actions that they should take. And now see, although it doesn't say see, it's a different form of the verb. What does that mean? Vision. Vision. Have vision, use your vision from this nation to glean to see people who have four character traits. They are Chayel, Okim, Emes, and Sonei I'm not to translate them for now I want you to find people with these four character traits and you 'll appoint them leaders of the thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, and leaders of tens. they will judge the people, all the time the big stuff they'll bring to you but the little stuff they'll take and it'll lighten your burden it'll become easier for you and they will bear with you if you do this advice follow my advice and you listen to what God has commanded and you'll be able to withstand this and you'll be able this and everybody will be able to go home. There will be peace and tranquility tranquility. Hallelujah. What happens? Moshe listens for the voice of his uh, father-in-law. and he does everything his father-in-law said, namely, He chooses Any Ah, what happened to the rest of the character traits? Okay?. He appoints a hierarchy, essentially a court system of lower courts and higher courts, of, of, a, of a city court and a state court and a federal court, a supreme court, and so on. They're available indeed to judge all the time. They bring the great matters to Moshe. Thank you, Shver. I took your advice. We're all good. Time to leave. And Yisro went home. Okay, that is beginning to end the section that I want to examine with you this fine morning. And it is a fine morning. We should be having this class outside for the record. Okay. So the first question that I have for you, well, let's take a pasik by Pasuk, which is the purpose of this class, a text-based class. And it was? Great. The next day after what? Plus is very ambiguous. And it was the next day. So, if you look at the Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra who always, as we have seen, keeps a tremendous allegiance to the Pshat, the Ibn Ezra who is very uh, loyal to the simple meaning of the text, It's very simple. Don't get too... uh, homiletical, he says, Ibn Ezra. It was the next day. It was the next day after Yisra came. In other words, that night that he arrived, they went out for dinner, they drank, they were merry, they were happy, welcome, Shkayach. And it was the next day that Yisra started to have a talkless conversation with Moshe about his leadership style. But, if you look at Rashi, he does not see it the same way. Rashi says, It was not what it means to say it was the next day. It was the day after Yom Kippur. What was the day after Yom Kippur? It means the day after Moshe received the luchos on the mountain. Moshe came down on the 17th Originally he came down on on or Batamas. We have a fast day because that's the day he first came down and broke the tablets. <laughs> and the next day he woke up early and he went up for 80 days to receive the Torah a second time. And when did he arrive that second time? It was Yom Kippur. By the way, the Vilnagon the Grub, proves from this Rashi that when we talk about the Anane HaKavod of Sukkot, It's not the Anani Akavod of having protected us in the wilderness, the clouds of glory. But rather, God gave us clouds of glory we learned last week's Parsha. When we left Mitzrayim, God gave us the clouds of glory to protect us. But He withdrew them. He withdrew those clouds of glory when the people built an eagle. Moshe went up for 80 days and when he returned... He went up twice. He, He restored the clouds of glory. And so the Vilna Gon says... This, the reason remember the age old question that the tour asks why do we celebrate sitting in the sukkah mm-hmm. uh, in the fall we should be doing it right after Pesach yes. if right after Pesach we, Pesach celebrates the exodus we left Egypt we should be sitting in the sukkah and commemorating the booths in the wilderness and the clouds of glory shortly after Pesach what are we doing it in the fall and of course the answer we all learned in kindergarten was because then it wouldn't be obvious we were doing this for a holiday in the Spring. everybody wants to sit outside at their gazebo and enjoy and read and bask in the sun. By doing it, here it's not as, I mean I guess it is as relevant because of the heat, but when you sit outside in the frigid cold or the uh, scolding heat, then it's obvious you're doing it for a mitzvah. That's the answer that everybody remembers. But the Vilni gives a different answer. The Vilnagon says no. The reason it falls now is not coincidental. We didn't adjust the the, uh, calendar to give an impression that it's for a mitzvah. It's because we don't sit in these to commemorate booths, the sukkahs, and we don't sit in it to commemorate the clouds of glory, per se. We sit in it to commemorate forgiveness. How we can restore a broken relationship. Mm-hmm. That God withdrew the clouds of glory, and when because of the ego, we violated God. We practiced infidelity, we worshipped an idol. God withdrew His love, His affection, His clouds of glory. Moshe went up for 80 days and we spent that time in repentance and repair. And therefore, post Yom Kippur, we too sit in the sukkah to celebrate that a relationship can be repaired. It's a beautiful Vilna That's a Vilna by the way. That Vilna changes the entire way you celebrate sukkahs. Wow. That when you sit in that sukkah, it is the affectionate embrace of God having restored a broken relationship. Anyway, continuing in Rashi, veEin Parshek Zuk Suva Keseder. This is a famous Rashi because Rashi, of course, is of the belief Ain Mukdamu Beuchar B'Torah that the Torah is not written chronologically, but rather thematically. Shulon Emar VeHimi Macharas Atshonah Bishniah Av V'Avla Diveri HaUma HaUmer Yisro Kodemat In Torah Ba. We know that Yisrael only left in the second year after they received the Torah. And yet it sounds here like Moshe sent him home after he gave this advice, before he gave the Torah. We never heard that Yisrael came back. So how could one argue that Yisrael was there for having received the Torah... If you believe that Moshe sent him home before it's ever reported the receiving of the Torah. So Rashi develops his thesis, which is the Torah is not written chronologically, it's written out of order. But for our purposes, Vayimi Macharas, and it was the next day. What was the next day for Rashi? It was the day after Yom Kippur. And the Ramban asks, Or the Ramban deals with, well, why is it only the day after Yom Kippur? What's the significance? What's the connection between the day after Yom Kippur and Yisro's observing that Moshe can't handle the burden? What's the connection? So look at the Ramban. It was the next day, and Moshe sat to judge the people, implying that the day before he was not sitting in judgment. What was the day before? Why was he not in judgment? Yom it was Yom, Yom, Kippur. Yom Kippur. The Ramban says the emphasis of macharas is not to tell us a placement. Oh, it's good to know that the day before was Yom Kippur. That's not the relevant fact. The kavana And it doesn't necessarily even mean that it was the next day literally. Because Yom Kippur is forgiveness, but the Ramban is saying something different. He says, I'm not sure that they didn't eat on the first Yom Kippur in the desert, because how'd they know it was Yom Kippur? They didn't get the Torah yet. So he says, I don't think the Torah is reporting, says the Ramban. Yom HaMacha is the day after Yom Kippur because it wants to tell us about Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur wasn't really yet Yom Kippur. The day after Yom Kippur, what do you think happened? Moshe told him, let me tell you about this incredible experience. I was on top of the mountain and I received the Torah and so on and so forth. He didn't have time to start judging people the next day. When he arrived after coming back from our Sinai the next day, he was busy communicating the Torah. So the Ramban says The significance of Memachras Of telling us And it was the next day Is not to highlight Yom Kippur Who cares that Yom Kippur Was not significant yet But it's to highlight That this was the first opportunity Moshe had to judge From the time they left Egypt until the giving of the Torah, there was never a day that Moshe yet heard and reconciled disputes. For this slave nation, who had time to do that? They were fleeing from the Egyptians, running in the wilderness, running for their lives, walking through the split sea, watching their enemies drown. Then Moshe goes up to get the Torah, the the Egel. He goes up again, he comes back again, he's teaching them Torah. Who had time yet to talk about conflict resolution? So the Ramban says the significance of mimacharas means it was the next day. It means when everything was calm. Mimacharas means when everything significant had passed. When there was a quiet, now Moshe began to do conflict resolution and it was in that context that Yisro observed he can't do it all. So I'm just trying to show you the difference between the Ibn Ezra, Rashi, and the Ramban's way of reading mimacharas Again, we, are, this class is not a drusha class, a homiletical class, a musr class. It's to stay, it's to learn about the text. So we would read the parsha and mimachras, and it was the next day. We'd go flying past that. We wouldn't even give it a second thought. The commentators didn't. The Ezra, Rashi, and the Rabban all stopped and said, and it was the next day. What's the significance of telling us it was the next day? So the Ezra came to the conclusion, it was the day after Yisra arrived, that's all. Don't make more out of it than it is. It was the next day. It means it was the day after Yisro arrived. Rashi says no. It was the next day. It was he does all the calculations. It was after Yom Kippur. Its significance. Yom Kippur is the day of forgiveness. It was the next day. Then Rabban also says well, no. Yom Kippur was not yet Yom Kippur. It's not about Yom Kippur. It's a Torah's way of telling us to be It was after the hustle and bustle of the exodus and the freedom and the fleeing and that now was the first opportunity of quiet and tranquility for Moshe to judge and it was the first opportunity to see that the system wasn't working. Okay, so that's the first point. That's the first point. Next point. Oh, there's so much more I had planned to talk about. But, next point. Rabbi Salavechik asked something. Vayar Hosein Moshe, what did Yisro see? First of all, it's interesting. He's not identified as Yisro. Vayar Hosein Moshe. It's the, the, the Shver of Moshe. Moshe's father-in-law saw all that what? Read the verse. Pasu Yedalad, Verse 14. Again, paying attention to the text. No, I'm okay. Maybe a tissue. Can you give me a tissue? Pastor Gidalid, what did Yisro see? That's not what he saw. Doesn't say everything he did. What does it say? Doesn't say what he did for the people. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. They're like, what Rabbi Salavichuk noticed. What did Yisroh accuse Moshev? He doesn't say, I notice you're on overload. He doesn't say, you're good intention, you're well intentioned, okay. but it's not working. Ma at kol asher asa. Asherhu ose laam, and he said, Mahadava davar zeshar ato What are you doing to the people? It's accusatory. It's accusatory. Why does he imply that Moshe has poor intentions? He comes and he challenges Moshe. What are you doing to the people? Maybe that he's so people. Maybe they're complaining. Maybe they're waiting on <laughs> <Maybe> they're <laughs> too <laughs> long. Maybe the line is too long. Maybe complaining again. Maybe that way, way much too time. long. So I think right. What is right. Where is Yisro's emphasis? Who is Yisro worried about? The, people. the, people, the people, people waiting too long to get tired. Oh. People. So when you normally read this on the surface, you'll say is worried about Moshe. This right. is his son in law. it's burning out. He's working too hard. Slow down. I need you to be there for my daughter and my grandchildren. You're going to burn out. You're going to kill yourself. Slow down. But I think you see from this question that he's not worried about Moshe. It's the people. Now what is he worried about the people? Because he's taking too much power, maybe. But what's also fascinating is not only the way Moshe, uh, the way Yisra rather, formulates this accusation. He doesn't say to Moshe, Moshe, my dear, Moshe, Babala, I love you, you're working too hard, you're going to burn out. He says, Yisra, what are you doing to the people? And how does Moshe respond? He tells, him, well, the people come to me to ask on their behalf. What a funny answer. Why is that a funny answer? What is Yisro blind? He doesn't see the line and know why they're there? What kind of an answer is that? Yisro knows, and it's his very knowledge of what you're doing that caused him to ask. So, what kind of answer is it to say, well, I'm dealing with all these people who came to inquire of God. That's obvious they came to inquire of God. So Yisra's very question is kind of peculiar. Moshe's very answer is kind of peculiar. The whole conversation is peculiar. What's he really worried about? So let's get into these verses a little further. It says that Moshe was occupied, he was consumed by judging the people from morning until evening. So look at the Kliyakar on Pasuk Yid Gimel. Kliyakar, verse 13. Mikan she'ein don'n Balilah. <laughs> You know, there's a rule, there's a halacha, that a Beisden, a rabbinical court, is not allowed to judge at night. It's not allowed to judge at night. A Beisden does not operate after sunset. A rabbinical court only operates during daylight hours. Why? They don't operate at night. Thank you, so you see the Kliyakar quotes, it's from this passage. When did Moshe hear the people? Min boker ad ha He heard them from the morning until the evening. The the Gemara records, Gemara in Shabbos tells us that any judge who has done din emes la'amito, who adjudicates law to its truthful conclusion, even for one hour, The verse describes him as if he is a partner with God in creation itself. Right? That God created the world here the verse describes that he judged So when a judge, even if it's for an hour takes the time and the energy and applies the thought to Conclude the proper honest conclusion, he becomes a partner with God in the creation of the world. So the Kleoka wonders where did the Gemara get that homiletic interpretation from this verse? Meanwhile, well, God created the world and at the end of each day he said, Bokar, and it was evening and it was morning. And here it says, You judge from morning to evening. You see, you're a partner with God in creation. Well, it says the <laughs> Kyakar of Lunchitz. It's out of order. When it came to creation, it put the evening before the morning. Here it describes the person who judges, judges from the morning to the evening. So what's the connection? The task of the teda. So he says, think about it, you'll understand. <laughs> This world can only exist when there is justice. When there is justice, righteousness, when there is law. God wanted to create the world. We know this is the first Rosh Torah. God wanted to create the world employing the character trait of strict justice. But God realized the world could not sustain itself. I mean, could you imagine... If every time you do something wrong, there was an instantaneous punishment, the world couldn't exist without a little compassion, a little rachmanus, without a little, you know, in the yud gimel midos, in the thirteen attributes of God that we describe His His uh, compassion. (inaudible) Hashem, Hashem. So what's erech apayim? Slow to anger. What does slow to anger mean? Doesn't immediately. It gives us time. So the commentator is explaining doesn't have a short fuse, but it also means that he doesn't he doesn't respond immediately. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you a minute to realize you didn't mean to do that. I'm going to give you a day to realize that was a bad that was poor judgment. God does not, and that's that's Rahman, that's compassion. By the way, there's a model, a lesson in that as parents also, and in relationships in general that. It's it's an expression of compassion, a commitment to the relationship to give the other party time to recognize they've done something wrong and to repair their way. What happens when we snap to judgment, and we're quick to anger, we eliminate their possibility of repairing of identifying the problem and of repairing it. So God so originally God was going to create a world exclusively with justice. Then he partnered it with compassion. But nevertheless, what is the core principle is that God is the God of justice. <laughs> it's interesting, he says. He says, we know that the, the system of justice above, the heavenly court, operates in conjunction complementing the court of human beings when is the heavenly court most at work at night specifically now this is a mystical idea that the heavenly court operates at night by the way that that night is a time of Midas Hadin and that's why uh, for example there's a custom amongst fardem among Kabbalists not to recite Tehillim at night not to recite Tehillim at night there's a certain there's a mystical notion to the nighttime that God is sitting in judgment that's why we say tikun Chatsos, and specifically midnight. after midnight, and midnight. so on and so forth. Midnight. So, um, so what, So he says, look at how it complements that the heavenly court sits at night in judgment, and the human court sits during the day. Hmm? sits during the day. Hmm. Kliyakar is hinting this is a deep Kabbalistic idea but it, you see he had asked what was the original question? How could you say that man that judges are partners with God in creation just because we have this play on words Erev and Boker it's out of order God created the world first came Erev then Boker here it's describing man sits in judgment Mi Boker Ad Erev so he says the Kliyakar it's not a coincidence Man is a partner with God because God is on call at night from Erev to Boker. Man is on call from Boker to Erev and indeed that's how you form a partnership to make sure that there's justice existing in the world 24-7. God at night, man during the day. And that's the expression of the true partnership. So that's a cute cute idea for the Exactly. Exactly. So Moshe describes in response to Yisro, he says, Why are all these people here? They came, Lidrosh Esselokim, Lidrosh Elokim. They came to inquire of God. What does that mean? Who are they? What does it mean they came to inquire of God? So look at the Sephorno. The Sephorno, Ravavadi Sephorno says, Lidrosh Elokim, Hanesim Verashay Hador, Ha Bohem Maliske Ha Rab, and Visidran Bohem Eli, Bechroch Lidrosh HaShem Yachanu. Who's waiting in line? Who is being kept up and delayed? It's not the individuals, not the Hamonan, not the Amcha. It is the leadership. All the different layers of leadership, the princes and the heads of the generation, came because there are significant decisions that need to be made. And they want to make them in consultation with what would God say? They want to know what is, through prophecy, what does God want us to do? So that's how the Sforno interprets interprets, Lidrosh Elohim. The Rashbam. Also, So that's what Moshe was answering, by the way. The Rashpam is giving us insight into what Moshe was answering. We asked, what was Moshe's answer? What do you mean? Yisro couldn't see that the long line was there because they needed his help? Yisra comes and says, what are you doing to this people? Moshe says, well, what do you mean? They're waiting online line to ask me questions. Shkayach. Yisra didn't know that. So Rishbam says, no, what did he mean? They're waiting online, line, Lidrosh Elohim. See, Moshe was unique among the prophets. All other prophets only were able to respond to a conversation that God initiated. They received prophecy at God's initiation. They could only receive prophecy in their sleep. There's a lot of differences. Moshe was able to receive prophecy while awake, and Moshe was able to initiate a conversation with God, prophecy. So that's what Moshe was saying. I'm the only one who could take their questions and go ask God. They don't have that ability, even if they are prophets. They are passive prophets. I'm the only proactive prophet who could go to God. So that's what he was telling Israel. Hey buddy, don't come criticizing why this long line is waiting for me. I am uniquely positioned to do this task. And that's why there's this long line here. And now it makes sense what he was answering to him. The Orachayim also was bothered what Moshe was answering. He didn't see the Rashpam, I guess. The Urachaim (laughs) Tezvav says, What kind of answer is this? Didn't Yisra see? So he says, No, Yisra's question was, not what are you doing? That wasn't his question, to which Moshe should respond, I'm helping people. This question is, what are you doing to this people? You are placing a burden on them. (laughs) Why are you sitting alone? Why aren't you delegating? (laughs) Moshe's response doesn't make a lot of sense. And if Moshe didn't understand the question... He should have said to him, What are you getting at? Abba. So the Orachayim points out, No, Moshe read between the lines. He understood the criticism of his father, What are you doing? As if Moshe was usurping power. He understood Yisra to be challenging him, Why are you placing yourself at the center of this religion? Why are you making yourself the core and revolving everything around you? It's a poor move. And that's why these people are suffering. Because if you would only relinquish some of your power, if you'd only be willing to delegate and to concede some of your power to others, this very people would not be so burdened. So what was Moshe's response? Orheim. Okay. says, they're coming to me. I'm more than happy for them to go to other people. They won't go. They only want my services. What do you want from me? I try to refer them out. And they say, no, we only want you. And that's why they're waiting on this long line. Because he has a direct relationship with yeah. him. And that's right. the reason that that's why <laughs> So there's a number of things Zorah says, Moshe communicates, that I can't do. I'm the only one who they want to adjudicate to reconcile their conflict. And I'm the only one they turn to for inspiration. There's so much to learn. There's so much to teach. They don't want to hear it from others. The Yisra was doubtful of the two things that Moshe was saying. So you hear the give and take the Orchayim is playing here? What was really going on beneath the surface? Yisra comes to Moshe and he says, Moshe, this is unhealthy. This is a religion that has become about you. That's unhealthy. And I got to tell you, that indeed is unhealthy. It should never be about the messenger. It should be about the message. If Judaism is to sustain, it's because Judaism is an eternal truth, not because there is an individual with great charisma who has inspired many. This is one of the big challenges in our time, that there are great individuals have inspired, and then they have been revealed to have flaws. And when those flaws are revealed and exposed, their followers walk away, because they never bought into the movement and the message, they bought into the messenger. Israel is going through that right now. There was a call to indict this week a great rabbi who was already in the headlines for a couple of years. But a great rabbi, I don't want to mention his name, one of the charismatic leaders of the religious Zionist movement, the national movement in Israel, who had a radio show and a TV show and out of yeshiva and out of this and out of that, and an incredibly charismatic individual. And when already a, a year and a half ago, a year ago, it was revealed that he was having improper relationships with some of his students and some other things, um, and just this week there was a call, a recommendation actually to indict him over it, there were many of his followers, this was all over the internet, blogs, articles written, they were shattered those whose lives were so touched and inspired by him, those who who became religious because of him, didn't just say, you know what? Religion is true, Judaism is true, Torah is true, I'm committed to be observant, I'm devastated that my rabbi, one of my teachers, this is who he was. No. Many of them chose to walk away. If this is, I'm done. Why? Because the religion became synonymous with the person, with the personality. That is a cult-like personality, and that is an incredible danger. And so the Orchayim is suggesting that is what's taking place here. It's not about learning to delegate. It's not about management style. It's not about executive seminars. It's about something more fundamental. Yisro so is warning Moshe, don't make you, don't be synonymous with this nation, with this national experience, with this religion. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And that's why he's fearful. What are you doing to this people? What are you doing to this people if you turn it into a cult that centers and revolves around you exclusively that you are synonymous with the experience? By the way, if it's after Matan Torah, then we can understand even further why Yisro felt this way. Why? What happened? What did he just see? What happened when Moshe got delayed on the mountain? The people went berserk. They lost it. Why? Because it was synonymous with Moshe. And when Moshe was delayed, and when Moshe didn't return, and when they thought Moshe is no longer, there it goes. There goes everything. Right? That's the Naval T-Bol. It's not just you'll be exhausted. Yeah. Not just you'll be exhausted, but you're going to devastate, you're going to compromise the whole nation. The whole nation. So that's what Yisra is telling Moshe. And what does Moshe respond? I hear you. It's a, that's a legitimate concern. But what, what do you want from me? I'm the only one they'll come to. I'm the only one they'll come to. I'm the only one they'll come to for two things. To resolve their conflicts and to inspire and to teach them. I try to refer them, I try to delegate, they won't go. So how does Yisra respond? The Yisra in <speaking> this topic, B mitzvah Bein ish, So Yisrael understood there are two challenges here. One is that Moshe wants to, Yisro thought, Moshe wants to do the mitzvah, he wants to be at the center of attention. And it's to that that he said, It is not good that which you do. And that which he heard, this nation refused to go to anyone else. He said, let me give you some advice about that. (laughs) haya atala am v ata ta cha ze va shav tu perish din she ya ha mish bat ratso kish ya gadol prish kish ya gadol sh ha ha s ha at s ma s had din bin l cad h ha sh ftem so the Rachel is basically saying, when you read this narrative, you think there was one problem and there was one solution. The problem was, Moshe couldn't bear doing it alone and he gave him a solution and had to delegate. The Rechaim says, no, there were two problems. Moshe as the central centrality of this religion, synonymous with the religion. And the second, that a people was, had this magnetic pull to him. And Moshe and Yisro addressed both issues. To Moshe he says, lo toba davar this is not good what you are doing, namely placing yourself at the center of religion. And in terms of the people not being willing to go to others, listen to me, I've got some advice. They will go to others, get competent people and give the people a reassurance that their truly complicated issues ultimately will ascend to you. If you give people the confidence that their complicated issues will ultimately go through you, then they will be willing to go through others. So this Orachayim is a critical, critical (coughs) Orachayim. Okay, let's keep going. So now he says, Bikoli, Listen to my voice. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. This has to do with what we were talking about earlier. Again, I don't want to spend too much time on it. I could give a, an hour class on it. But Yisro being the paradigm of the, of the kolach ha Yisro is the model of a person who can listen. Ata shema b'koli. It's not a coincidence. He tells Moshe, Listen to me. Listen to me. I've got advice for you. But if you're going to hear my advice, <coughs> excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> if you're going to be capable of listening to my advice, you're first going to have to be Shema Bekoli, You're going to have to have the capacity to listen. Now, is it a coincidence that when this whole thing is over, what is the what does the Torah testify? Vayishma Moshe Lakolchos No. Moshe learned the skill of listening. And by the way, I don't think it's a coincidence that right before the giving of the Torah, what does Moshe tell them? Chapter 19, verse 5. Before the giving of the Torah, If you will show the power of listening, I got a Torah for you. So again, what's really the theme? Parsha. If I have to summarize the entire parsha, reduce it down to one word, this entire parsha is about listening. It's about shmiah, because you can't get a Torah, and you can't give advice to others, and you can't reconcile conflict, and you can't be a leader. You can't do any of these things if you're not a good listener. That's what it all comes down to. That's what it all comes down to. Yes. It says here, Shema How does a Torah have the authority to say Hashem is going to be with you if you do that? You know what I'm saying? He could say it's a good uh, management skill, but but to say that, to speak in the name of Hashem, like He's going to be with you. Yeah. So look at look at the uh, the Rashbam, Ben Meir. I would say the Rashbam was probably bothered by your question, Ruth, mm-hmm. and therefore he concludes, um, God will be with you." And then what is the next? What does it say later? Sorry, where's the Passover? Here, verse 23. If you do this, that God commands it, what does V'yachal amod mean? And you'll be able to therefore stand. So that's what he was telling him here also. is God will be with you, meaning God will give you the strength to endure. You're, you're, you can't bear this burden. You're crumbling under the weight. So the Rosh is interpreting via Hilo Kim Imach. He does not have the authority to say God will be with you, but that's not what he was saying. What he's saying with you that you'll have the strength to endure. You won't crumble under the burden. You'll have the strength to be able to bear the burden. It also can just textually mean if you do this thing, and the implication is, and if God will be with you. In other words, there's the two if clauses before that. Right. The next, you, okay. So. Right. Good. You could read it as if also. Yes, Leo. Could you repeat the earlier question? Was kind of faint back here. Yeah, the question was: It says, "If you listen to me, God will be with you." What authority did Yeshua have to say, "God will be with you"? So we're saying two possible answers: either it means just if you listen to me, also then God will be with you, but uh, but means he doesn't have the authority to say God will be with you, but the authority to say. You will be able to, you'll have the strength to bear the burden. So Yisro's advice was Techazet. It doesn't say look, it says Techazet. Rashi tells us Techazet is Beruach mm-hmm. Te is like a Choseh, a Choseh, a Chazon, a vision. There's a difference between looking and having vision. He calls on Moshe to look at these very same people with a sense of vision Techazet mi from all the people from all the people. So the Orachaim has a very important interpretation from all the people. How do you read this? Look, Mikol Ha'am. Is it that the candidates you should be considering may come, Mikol Ha'am, from the nation? Or that, your process of looking should include the judgment of kol ha'am. So the, the simple way of understanding it is, where are your candidates to be found? Where should you get your resumes from? Kol ha'am, the nation. Look among the nation to see anyone who fits these four character traits. But the Yor reinterprets it. Don't look from the nation, but mikol means make sure that the people you choose have the approval of the nation. Meaning they may fit all your character traits. But if they're not beloved to the people, if they're not acceptable to the people, they can't. They will not be listened to. So, by the way, that's just part of my response to my new friend, Rav Shmueli Boteach, that in order to be an effective leader, you have to be Mikol Ha'am. Mm-hmm. You have to be, according to the Arachayim, Mikol Ha'am. You may fit the profile. You may be smart and God-fearing, you may be wealthy and disdain, bribery. You may fit the profile. But if you're not Appealing and pleasant to the people, then you're not going to be an effective. You're not going to be an effective leader. It's an important Orachayim. Yep, it's an important Orachayim. Okay, let's keep going. Now, the uh, four character traits: Kim, yirelokim, Emes, and Batza. What are they? So look at Rashi. Rashi says anshechayel, they're wealthy. They're wealthy. Why is wealth important? It's fascinating. Excellent. Now I would never have come to this conclusion. It's actually pretty smart. I would never have said we can only choose judges who are wealthy. I would have said the opposite. Why should judges be more distinguished because of their wealth? It's wrong. That, uh, that is not a qualification. But the Torah understands that one of the qualifications is wealth because then they will not be tempted. Anche emes. What does it mean to be an ish emes? Anshe means that their word is their bond. What they say, they will do. Right? What's a faithful person, a trustworthy person, means you can trust what they tell you. There's integrity to their word and to their actions. Sone Batza, Yirilo Rashi didn't define, but it's somewhat obvious. God fearing, whatever that means. Sone Batza means Shasonimus Manmonam Bedin. So what is sonay Somebody who doesn't. It cannot be bought by money. How is that different than the bribe? Yeah. So sonay bata. between rich and poor man's judgment. No? What? Cannot distinguish between a rich man and poor man. So yeah. So in Rashi's interpretation, it's hard to understand uh-huh. the difference between the two. But for Rashi, Sone Batza means he hates money. You know, money's not a factor. Mm -hmm. He can be standing in front of an incredibly wealthy individual Mm who is in conflict with an indigent person, and money's not a factor. He doesn't see money. He doesn't see money. Sone Batza, he hates it. He hates it. (coughs) The Ramban and the Yorachayim, everyone has different interpretations. We're out of time. But what these four qualifications mean. What's interesting in the Yorachayim, the Yorachayim says, see, we, we thought, No matter what level of leadership of judge, you need all four qualities. The Yorchaim reinterprets it. Remember we said, some are going to be the heads of thousands, some over hundreds, some over fifties, and some over tens. In other words, there'll be district courts, and there'll be state courts, small claims courts, federal courts, and so on. So the Yorchaim says, no, each level of court requires a different quality of leadership. The highest level court requires an Ashechayim. The next level requires yerelikim. The next anshayemus, and the last at least the Batza. In other words, the orachaim sees that the different level of court requires a different level of leadership. It's a different way of reading the, a different way of reading the pasuk. I'm sorry, we don't have time inside. Now, bechol eis, they will judge the people in every moment. What does it mean bechol eis? The orachaim here explains also. Bechol means Moshe, you just you're not accessible. You're not accessible. It's impossible. You're inaccessible. You need to learn to delegate. So that there can be work going on all the time. The Choles means you become a lot more productive if, if productivity can be happening more often if you're delegating. And why? Because the Orchayim said, imagine if Moshe spent all of his waking hours adjudicating in conflict resolution, he's got a lot more to do as a leader. He's got a lot more responsibility. A lot more to do. Um, so he only took an Chaim? What? He only took an Chaim or... Oh, so what does it mean? Good, good segue there. So what does it mean when Pasek describes Moshe listened and he found, oh. Moshe, Moshe listened to the voice of his father-in-law and he chose Chayil. So does that mean that's all he found? So the Ibn Ezra says, no, look at the Ibn Ezra. It doesn't say Yerelokim because only Moshe, only that person could know what was in their heart if they're Yerelokim. Whether a person's wise, that a person could ascertain. Really, Moshe took someone who had all four of the qualities, but the Torah only lists the ones that are visible, the ones that on the surface, can be identified. So the Ibn Ezra assumes that Moshe indeed recruited people who had all, all four qualities. But if you look at the Tzfarno, The Sforno says, Moshe looked for all four qualities, he couldn't find them. <laughs> he couldn't find them. Once he couldn't find people who had all four qualities, he settled at least for An Shechayel. He said of the least for anchechayal. Hmm. By the way, anchechayal even itself is a discussion. Hmm. Is it like how do you define anchechayal? Remember, Rashi said it means wealthy. But if it means wealthy, then how is it different than Batsa? If you hate bribery, so others say no. Anchechayal is like is like It means a person of valor. Who was aishachayal? Who was It means a person of valor. Um, what is it? This is the final thing. What did it mean? The phrase. Al Mikamo, Yavov But if you do this, Yisro said, You'll send this nation, Al Mikamo, on their place, Yavov Vishalom, they'll come in peace. What does that mean? What was he referring to? Oh, so the simple understanding is, you'll be able to resolve more conflict. If you delegate more and you have this hierarchy of justice, then you'll resolve more conflict and there'll be more peace and tranquility. But it doesn't explain the phrase, on their place. What does it mean? They will come in peace. So if you look at the Kliyakar in his second paragraph of Pasikhav Gimel, the Kliyakar explains. It should have said each person will go home back to their tent in peace. It doesn't say each person. Why not? This is an illusion, Yisro says, if the ultimate goal is to form this nation into a nation, and to bring them to settle the land of Israel, and there to be a model of justice to the world, then you need to set up this system, I'm telling you. So when it meant, that ultimately they will arrive at their destination, with peace, it meant in Israel. Now why Israel? Because Tzedek Tzedek Here, the Pasuk says in Dvarim, Justice, justice shall you pursue. So that you may live and merit inheriting the land. So you see, the verse itself there equates justice with the land of Israel. Israel can only exist, thrive, and flourish when there is a commitment to justice. If there is corruption, our very purpose of living in Israel is undermined and God will take it away from us. So Yisro is, according to the Kliakor, Kliakar, Yisro is hinting to Moshe. If you want to succeed in arriving at the ultimate destination, which is a Jewish people in a Jewish hand, homeland, modeling a Jewish system of justice, then you need to put this place system into place. Because only then will you merit the land of Israel. And indeed, you know a number of people have pointed out, Daniel Gordis, among them, that you know the recent... Uh, guilty verdict of the President Katsav, former President Katsav, as sad and as tragic as that is, is in some ways also a a positive. What nation, what a commitment to justice, the willingness to apply justice and to arrive at a guilty verdict, even to the highest level of power to the President himself. So, that in itself, while tragic is sad, is at the same time a positive reflection on our commitment to justice on the tzedek, the notion of tzedek, tzedek, tirdov. <laughs>